Welcome to the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, where it's all about slashing your debt, slashing your taxes, and creating a liberated lifestyle. And now, your host, who has a vast collection of vintage DC and Marvel comic books, and ironically lives in Minnesota, where his favorite NBA team, the LA Lakers, originated, Dave Denniston. Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physician podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping doctors like you slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle. Well, I have the honor of having with me a first-time guest. She is someone that reached out to me and told me a little bit of her story, and I said, we have to have her on. She is a physician based on the West Coast, the middle of, of where a lot of things have been happening with the coronavirus as we record this in April of 2020. And uh, I'm excited to have her on to share her journey and, and her struggles and her joys and lessons we can learn along the way. She is a family medicine physician who recently became board certified in lifestyle medicine. Please help me welcome to the show, Dr. Lynn Morris. Welcome, Lynn. Hi, Dave. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's so fun to, to have you on. I know um, you've been on a podcast before with um, the Journey to Launch podcast. So you're, you're, not, you're not a virgin podcaster. This is not the first time. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more about, about your journey and pulling some more stuff out of you, which I'm going to put in the, the show notes, the link to the Journey to Launch podcast so people can, can hear about that. Um, so tell us a little bit, Lynn, about yourself and, and about your journey. Um, yes. Okay. So yes, this will be my second podcast um, interview. So <laughs> bear with me if it's a little bit, uh, if I trail off too much, but feel free to interject or interrupt. Um, so yeah, so basically I'm a family doctor and I'm based here in Southern California in Los Angeles. Um, I'm originally from West Virginia. Mm. I grew up there and went to medical school there came out here to Southern California for my family medicine training and um, met my, who would become my husband. So um, my, so we're settled here in Los Angeles. We have two boys. So yeah, I never left California. You know, it's a hard place to leave once you've been here for a while. I know you grew up here. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I did. So, and so we're settled here in Southern California. We have two boys who are, One's in fourth grade, one is in sixth grade, and literally they're born and raised now here in California. We live in the same house that we brought our first child home to when he was born. That is so cool. Uh, yeah. So I want, I want to unpack that journey a little bit more, Lynn. So take us back to, to West Virginia as you think back on, on your life and your career. What, what do you think influenced you to be a physician? Um, you know... Honestly, I, I grew up in a medical family. Um, so my father was a plastic surgeon. My mom is a registered nurse. I also have an extended family full of doctors. My uncle is a retired neurosurgeon. A lot of my aunts and uncles also are doctors. Everything from family medicine to 
surgery and nursing and um so I basically grew up with it did, it, was, did it you, was normal for me did you um ever not want to be a doctor you know just to do something different and be different from the family you know maybe for about two years in college I thought I was gonna <laughs> be, <laughs> I thought you know as Typical, you know, you go to college and you think, oh, you get all these great ideas. And right. I thought I was going to be a marine biologist. And, you know, it was, it was, it was, I was quite serious about that. I actually had spent, I spent a semester doing research in Bermuda when I was a senior. Nice. Um, yeah, that was fabulous. It was amazing. And the cool thing about it was I really loved molecular biology. So the laboratory that I worked in was, a molecular biology lab and I actually learned how to do DNA sequencing. Wow. So that was really cool. Yes. And I got to do it from, from scratch, like basically collecting the samples going, cause I'm, I'm a certified scuba diver. So we would go and go diving to collect the samples mm -hmm. and take the samples through the entire process to where by the end of the semester, we had sequenced portions of the DNA of what we were collecting. So that was really cool. So I thought I was going to be a marine biologist just for a little bit. And then, you know, of course I was, had been wanting to be a doctor from the age of probably about eight years old. Mm -hmm. And so my plan was I will go to medical school. No, 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 no. I think it was, I'm going to be serious about going to grad school for, um, for molecular biology. And my fallback will be medical school. <laughs> it's odd. It's really the fallback. Yeah, exactly school. right. Like medical school is a fallback. Like, have you ever heard anyone say that? So, <laughs> I mean, it's really odd. But you know, it was one of those things where and then I kind of came to my senses and I was like, hang on a second. If I, I've always wanted to be a doctor. Um, now, if I do grad grad school first and then I go to medical school it's actually, I think, going to be harder to try to go to medical school after completing a four plus year graduate school degree, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, so I put the, I put molecular biology and marine biology on the back burner and it's been there ever since. I love it. <laughs> but, you know, I'm so still you, happy that I, that I went into medicine. Like I wouldn't have done it differently. You grew up with a stethoscope around your neck, threw it off for a couple of years and yes. put it back on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, I would love to know, you know, I think of West Virginia. I don't necessarily think of physicians. You know, I think of coal mining back in the day. I think of um, rolling hills and, and beautiful areas. I also think of kind of a lot of, a lot of poor people and, and, and people barely making it out there. That's my impression, having lived in, and raised in, in California. Uh, what was it like, you know, kind of financially growing up in a place like West Virginia? Um, you know, it was, first of all, you're right. It's beautiful there. It's rolling hills, trees everywhere, rivers. Um, you know, and the people there are just so real and down to earth. Mm. And, um, it's just almost like a different kind of culture. I miss it a lot. Um, friendly, you know, the kind of place where you are just walking to your car in the parking lot and you'll pass somebody and you'll both say hello, hello to each other. Like mm. that doesn't happen here in Los Angeles, you know? Um, so, you know, it was, 
you know, living the way, the way that I was raised, I think I was a little bit, I will say I definitely was in a bubble, um, mm -hmm. you know, because I grew up in a medical family and my extended family was, we were all medical and I'm Filipino. Um, so we also had that sort of cultural difference that where we really were sort of in our own bubble there. Um, of course, because our families all had very public facing and public service careers, you know, we were very much in the communities where we lived. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there was always sort of that almost, I guess the word is code switching. I don't know, like sort of being in different environments. So it actually made me pretty, um, it helped me become really more aware of other people and their situations and, um, and maybe a little bit more sensitive to the fact that, um, that, you know, I was raised in a very sort of um, privileged, I mean, I'll say privileged. I was raised in a very, I was, I had a very privileged existence, you know, going to private schools and um, being in a medical family. But at the same time, being very aware of sort of the cultural and social um, disparities and um, the, the struggles that, you know, our, by the time I got to medical school, I was, you know, I went to medical school there. So seeing those kinds of struggles that people went through. So I did, you know, kind of see different facets of, of life just being there. Mm. I don't know if that answered your question. No, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. And I'm curious to know with coming from, from a family full of physicians and especially during the time when, when medicine generally, you know, is known for kind of being the golden age and a lot of people making lots and lots and lots of, of money. Um, what kind of money lessons were passed on to you, good or bad ones, you know, oh, by, by family? Great question. So, you know, having school age kids now myself, I think about what, how was I raised? What was, what was I raised? What, what were the teachings, I guess, or the messages I had about money? And, you know, it's so different from how I'm trying to teach my kids just kind of being somebody who's more into the financial independence movement and yes. um, all that stuff. So, you know, and I think that, you know, with my family, it was very much like work hard, make a good living. This is what we're doing. Um, you know, and I was so fortunate to have parents that just wanted to be able to work hard and provide mm. for us. And um, so there was that going on. But I think that like underneath the surface, I, I, I didn't learn very much about um, you know, like budgeting and like, this is what I have to do to make a dollar. I think my parents in a way shielded us from that because, you know, being immigrant, immigrant families and some, you know, some of the, most of them, you know, especially my dad coming from a family where it was all the, it was difficult just to put kids through school, you know, mm. and put food on the table. So I think that they sort of shielded, I, I think they sort of shielded us from a lot of that. And I had to learn a lot of that stuff on my own later on. Interesting. Well, I think of I think of the Asian culture in general, and I don't know if this applies to um, Filipinos. Like the the Chinese culture is very much you know a save 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 culture rather than the American culture, which tends to be very very spend culture. What was it like being in a Filipino household? Was it kind of a combination of the two? You know what what kind of emphasis was put into That's a like great question? You know our our culture, especially some Filipino families, have a lot of Chinese influence, um, but then also very Americanized, right? Because after World War II and 
um, the Philippines was basically uh, a, a U.S. colony and had a lot of U.S. influences. Um, it was also very, we also have a very Americanized sort of, I think, um, way with our, I think, around money. And so there is definitely um, both, I think. And that was also tough for me because I would see like, we got to save, we got to save, we got to save for college, we got to pay for this. And then on the other hand, being a family that um, had, you know, a good, that where I had a parent who was parents who were making good money, you know, we had, we went on ski trips growing up. We, um, you know, my, my dad flew in, flew a private airplane. He was very into aviation from like, you know, way back in the day. And so mm. he actually had a, he actually had a Cessna, a single engine Cessna. Wow. Um, you know, we lived cause he was, he was really into, um, aviation and learn, he got his pilot's license way back in the day. I think when he was in residency and then once he was able to afford a plane, he got a plane. We lived on, the, we lived on the river for a while. We had a, we had a speedboat. So it was like that, you know what I mean? It was like, we had all, like, we were never lacking for anything. Um, and like you said, you know, in the eighties and, you know, going into the nineties and, you know, medicine was, it was, it was basically the sky's the limit. Make as much money as you can make yourself work for it. Right. <laughs> oh, totally. Totally. <laughs> so. um, it, and it's uh, amazing. Amazing. Um, definitely people that went through that era were very blessed. <laughs> no doubt. Right. <laughs> Well, and um, walk us through the the next step of your journey, Lynn. So you you've gone through undergrad, you you went through the marine biology phase, you go to medical school, and um, in, in medical school with your parents and, and family generally doing well, were you having to take on any student loans, or what was that like? That part um, of the journey for you? No, that's a great question. So you know, being as fortunate as I was, I did really didn't have to take on much student loans at all. Like these loans will be paid off, you know, in the next, I don't know, probably five to 10 years. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Cause I really didn't have to take a whole lot of loans on. Thank God. Thank you, mom and dad. I mean, mm -hmm. they're, my parents are just incredible. Um, and also our families, both my parents come from families where education is a priority. Um, and that's how my parents became successful. And my dad's family, they are, even though they grew up in poverty, they all became successful. Doctors, accountants, um, you name it. They were all successful. So, um, you know, my parents, because of that sort of culture in our families, my parents, number one, one of their number, well, their top priority really was putting us through college. So I was so fortunate, you know, and I, I, I know it's, you know, you don't hear many people talk about that. Um, but, you know, my parents put all three of us through private colleges out of pocket. Wow. None of us had to take on student loans. So I'm so lucky that, you know, I was able to graduate from medical school and finish residency um, with a student loan monthly payment that was like a car payment. Like, you know what I mean? Like I hear stories about doctors who, I had actually friends in residency who, said, well, I can't buy a house when I'm in attending because my student loans, I have six figure student loans and my loan payment's gonna be like a mortgage. Yeah, it's so true. Those stories too, right? Oh, all, all the time. I, mean, I see plenty of physicians with $300,000 plus oh. in student debt. Oh. Compounding too, you know, yes. at, at six or 7%, which by, yes. just the interest is yes. like almost two grand a month. It's, I it's, mean, 
that just crushes me, you know, and, and people have this, this idea, this, this sort of myth that, oh, those rich doctors, you know, um, but also, you know, I don't think people realize that we are starting our savings in our retirement nest egg, not, we have to, we have to wait a good four to eight years or how long it takes to finish medical school in residency before we can actually start really, really earnestly saving for our retirement. By then, a lot of people have been saving for like 10 years. We've missed out on that compounding interest. So, you know, doctors make a good salary, but we're, I don't think we're quote rich. If you look at, at the big picture, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, we're, I mean, not to say we're not comfortable. I mean, we are so fortunate to, you know, do what we do and have what we have. And at the same time, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot that we have to sacrifice, you know, I think. Absolutely. Well, certainly <laughs> you don't I feel mean, like a rich doctor. Quote, no. <laughs> well, especially so many physicians being in the hospital system, right? You don't own the practice and, oh. and you know, it's um, compared to before, you know, physicians owned the, the practice and the building and right. surgery centers, which there's still some of that today. Yeah, my dad did but, all of that. Yeah. But that was, you know, this in the eighties. But it's like you said in your book, like every doctor should have their own business, whether it's a side, hu- if it's not their own practice, like a side hustle or something that's their own, right? Yes, absolutely. It was just another, if you can, you know, another stream of income and it's not for everybody, but um, well, I, I want to fast forward a little bit because there's so much I want to get to in, in the time that, that we have. And um, you're in practice now in, in the journey, you're out of residency and um, at some point you had a stroke. So yes. walk us through what happened and so, those, those moments and when, when this happened in the journey. Yes. So, you know, this was completely, um, it was a real shocker for all of us. So I, you know, so I finished my residency um, here in Southern California, became an attending. My whole mm-hmm. career was working in community clinics. That was sort of my mission when I decided to become a doctor. I really wanted to help the underserved. I think a lot of that came from my experience, just from my family's stories, from growing up in West Virginia, um, and just kind of having that desire to really help people, especially the people that need the most help. So I went into family medicine. I became an attending, working in community clinics. So fast forward, so I've been doing that for almost like 15 years. Fast forward to 2017, um, I had a stroke, which was completely out of the blue, um, didn't have any underlying issues, no, um, no hypertension, no diabetes, um, you know, I'm like, lived pretty active life, um, and one day I was, I was eating lunch, I was, I had run out of clinic for like an hour, I had an hour lunch or so. I went to run an errand, I was eating my, and then I ate my lunch and I'm sitting there and I'm so dizzy, like just so, I mean, I couldn't even, I can't even describe how dizzy I was. And I just thought, oh, I'm, I'm really tired and exhausted. Like we had just traveled back East and had just come back from up, upstate New York, which was a long trip about a day or two before that. And so I thought, oh, I'm just exhausted from the trip. And my mom had arrived from the Philippines early that morning. So I'd been up all night. And I thought, oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm just really tired. I just need to drink some water, um, 
go back to clinic, finish the afternoon, go home, rest. So, you know, as that sort of hour goes on, I just feel I'm feeling worse and worse. And mm. so I get to clinic and I remember the clinic manager looking at me and she's saying, are you okay? And I told her, I don't feel so well, but I'm just going to go sit down in my office for a minute. And then I go in my office and I tell my medical assistant, I don't feel so good. Can you check my, <laughs> check my blood pressure and my pulse ox? You know, here I am thinking like, what's going on here? So she checked my blood pressure and it's okay. It was a little elevated, but nothing outrageous. So I told her, well, I'm just going to lie down in here for a minute in this exam room and check back on me in like five minutes. So I'm lying there and I just, wow, I could not get the strength to really just do anything. And I, she comes in and I tell her, I saw, you know, I need to go home. I'm really not feeling well. So, um, so I actually, you know, collect my belongings. I get in my car. I drive myself home. Imagine this is a 40 minute commute, mm. um, driving myself home, feeling just so nauseated at this point I wasn't too dizzy to drive I just kind of felt a little like weird little headachey nauseated I'm driving down the freeway I get home and I'm just not feeling well so I you know and my husband happens to be out of town for work he's on his way home he's in an airport somewhere and I call him and I tell him I'm really not feeling well and he's like well you know, is your mom there? And I'm like, yeah, she's here. She's gonna, you know, she's gonna help me do a few things. So then I, I get so nauseated that I just start vomiting and um, I, I don't pass out, but I'm, on, I'm down, I'm on the ground and I cannot get up. I mean, it was crazy, mm. so crazy. And so um, she calls, so my mom calls my husband and tells him, you know, she says she, she's lying on like next to the bathroom and she says she can't get up, what should I do? And my husband's like, well, let me call 911 right now. So he calls 911 where he is. They call 911 in LA and they send uh, an ambulance here and I end up at the hospital. So long story short, they diagnosed me with, a lot of things happened in the inter intervening time, but what happened was they, they diagnosed me with a cerebellar stroke. Hmm. At this point, my husband is here in LA. He's in the ER with me. Um, and we were shocked. We were all like, what are you talking about? Like, this doesn't make any sense. Mm. So they had done a head CT on me. And as soon as the results came back, my emergency room bed area became a neuro ICU. All the neurologists come in, they start like propping me up, giving me fluids, you know, this amazing doctor, I'll never forget, her name is Dr. Munshi. And she was so incredible. She told me like, she has this incredible bedside manner. She's an emergency, emergency room physician. She told me what was happening. And, you know, I just listened. And then my husband is listening. He's not a medical person. So he's just, wow, what's going on? So then she, as the doctors and nurses are working with me, she takes them in the hall and she explains everything to me. She was incredible. So, you know, he told me after he talked with her, he really felt like he understood what was happening. So then from there, um, you know, we had to wait for an ICU bed in the neuro ICU. So I end up in the neurological ICU and I'm there for 10 days. Oh my gosh. Yes. I mean, it was something. And I think half of it, I was, I wasn't comatose and they didn't, you know, but I think a lot of that time I was a little bit in like another state, I guess. I can't even describe it. It was almost like I was aware of what was going on, but really not trying to pay attention. Um, so they, yeah, so they diagnosed me with a cerebellar stroke and, 
Um, and in case you might know what the cerebellum is, but in case your listeners don't know, which a lot of them are doctors, so they probably know, but the cerebellum is in the very back of your brain and it's in charge of helping you keep your balance. Mm. So, and it sits right above the brainstem, which is the very sort of, uh, very, very basic body bodily functions. Like it's in charge of making sure your heart beats and that you're you're breathing involuntarily, keeps you alive. So basically my cerebellum, my left cerebellum was so swollen that it was pressing on my brainstem. And my, um, the spaces in your brain where the spinal fluid and brain fluid flow through, those were getting swollen. So they almost collapsed. And my brainstem was literally like a millimeter or two away from collapsing through my skull oh my gosh yes which basically would have killed me so um that the doctor the doctors were incredible dr bose was my neurology my neurologist my main neurologist and um he was you know he was so good explaining everything he um he allowed me to share the images with my uncle. My uncle's in West Virginia and he's a retired neurosurgeon. So my uncle was sort of like side consulted just from like our families, you know, me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they were amazing there. So basically they gave me a fluid of hypertonic saline, very, very high content salt water, basically to bring the swelling down. They had neurosurgeons on the case. They weren't on the case per se, but they were ready basically to take me to the OR and um, open my brain to decompress it if the swelling kept going up. Um, so um, that, thank God, did not happen. That didn't happen. Mm. The, the treatment worked. And by like day 10, they, they transferred me to the regular floor and I went home about two or three days later. So, wow. <laughs> yes. Wow. It was, something else let me tell you i've never almost still i think back to it and i still it doesn't even feel like that really happened to me you know what i mean oh totally well i i I haven't gone through that but with my journey and the uh my my daughter i can i can relate to yes i read about that in your book dave that's incredible like wow your daughter's like a miracle baby she is well now she's like eight Almost. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it's uh it feels so so long ago. So I'm curious to know, you know, as we look at that financially, you know, how long were you out of work and and when did you get back to work and oh, what gosh. what were some of the the tensions and challenges around finances with the repercussions of all this stuff? Um, you know, great question. So right now I'm not back to clinical work. Um I'm on disability. And, um, which is a tremendous help. So last year, so in, so I, you know, and I'm not quite in the state that I can go physically back to clinic because of my dizziness issues. Um, you know, I did all the rehab and everything, but I think the dizziness is, it's, it's there. So I don't really feel that safe going back to work yet in terms of going into a clinic and seeing patients. Um, but I'm doing a lot of self-study. So last year I, um, so last year I, I did the certification course for lifestyle medicine and I got certified in lifestyle medicine, which is an emergence, emerging specialty. I mean, it's been around and it has more of a focus on wellness and 
uh, preventing and treating chronic diseases that are the primarily stress-related ones like hypertension, diabetes, high cholesterol, and treating those with uh, lifestyle factors like diet, sleep, stress reduction. So I got certified in lifestyle medicine. So it, it sounds like you had to pretty much quit your job then. I did, yeah. So I didn't go back to clinic. Um, I had to go on disability and, um, you know, luckily, you know, we had a good amount of savings. Um, and my husband, you know, he's still working full time. And I think along the way, especially before the stroke, when I got interested in the financial independence movement, I became more aware of tracking spending, budgeting, um, ways to save money that don't necessarily feel like you're um, depriving yourself. You know, all that stuff. Minimalism. I got really into listening to podcasts like The Minimalists. Um, pre-stroke. And I think a lot of that set me up to really have a healthy mindset about not working as much and not bringing in the income that I had before the stroke. Um, so yeah, so, you know, it was def it's definitely been an adjustment, yes. but I think learning about financial independence and finances and joining clubs like Jamila's Journey to Launch Club, like the podcast that um, that we, we mentioned, um, a lot of that kind of helped set me up to be prepared for, um, for not having the income and also for being, having a more simple life and not having such a consumer driven, um, existence as a family. Cause as a family, it's so easy. And you know, this, like you have kids, it's so easy to spend money when you are a family and have kids, right? <laughs> Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so I don't know if that answered your question, but I think I had already kind of prepared myself, not, you know, not knowing. And I think that's so important is to just have, have savings, have an emergency plan, be prepared, have the appropriate insurance coverage too, which I think for me was huge. Absolutely. Having a disability insurance plan. Well, this, this kind of leads us as, as we start to wrap up this podcast, we're recording this in April of 2020, where the coronavirus is, is causing things to be shut down and physicians are in one of two segments, either they're, they're working right now or they're not, and people getting their, their salaries cut in a lot of cases, or being physicians having to change from being family medicine to helping out on internal medicine whatever. So there's a lot of, of things happening right now. And by the time this podcast comes out, hopefully uh, we will be well past the, the worst of, of this. I would love to know with what you went through, um, considering what other physicians are going through now, where they're not on disability, but it's almost like they are, right? You know, they, they might be seeing a few patients through telemedicine, um, but not much income coming in. What would be your advice to physicians going through some of the financial challenges right now? Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it that way. You know, I think of my colleagues who are on the front lines and God bless them. I mean, they're, I've always been my heroes, um, even more so now, you know, they're taking care of this, these sick, sick patients in, in these circumstances that are, to me, I can't even imagine, you know? Um, and that's got to be so stressful. Like, I can't even imagine the stress. Um, and you're right. You know, I hadn't thought, thought about the fact that 
a lot of doctors revenue or income is going to go down because, you know, for example, I have one friend who is in an, in an academic practice at one of the local universities. And she was just telling me the other day that they are reducing her time and salary down to 80%. So that's just one example of what mm-hmm. you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's got to be stressful, especially if you're not used to flexing down, if you've always been at 100% as a doctor, which I think the majority of doctors are have done throughout their careers, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think one of my... My advice, I mean, you know, I think it's so different for everyone. It's hard for me really to give any general advice, but I think from my, my own perspective and just sort of my journey is I've really learned to live with less. Does that, I mean, that sounds so cliche. It does, but it's true. (laughs) It's true, true. right? (laughs) Like, you know, we, oh, for example, so my kids and I, especially now that they're quote homeschooled I don't know how much of a school you would consider this but we have been cooking together and I'm really into cooking I actually took a cooking course uh like uh, the year uh, about the year after my stroke I did an online cooking course through Forks Over Knives and um the plant-based um company that did that documentary I mentioned to you Mm -hmm, and um so I've learned a lot of real cooking techniques and I'm teaching them to my kids now. So, you know, they're, they're obsessed. I don't know if you guys have Panda Express where you live, but my kids are obsessed with orange chicken. (laughs) And Oh my God. Like if I could look back and see how much money we've spent at Panda Express, like I use YNAB, you know, and you can go back and see what you spent my, where you spent your money and where you how much you spent there it probably be last maybe a few months ago in the past few months we've probably spent over a hundred dollars at panda express eating orange chicken so now with our quarantine situation we actually i actually found a really good diy copycat make your own orange chicken at home there you go there you go so i think it's a lot of it is just sort of you know not spending the money and spending it on experiences instead and spending your time on experiences like you know and that's just kind of how we are as a family anyway a lot like our money is not towards things like we don't have a big fancy house we don't drive nice cars but you Mm -hmm. know we live in los angeles and we can take advantage of spending money on experiences because everything is at our fingertips but i think in these days you know it's almost built in right since we're all quarantined like we're not out spending money so it's almost like a good practice i think for all of us to live a little bit more simply and yes. not be out there spending money and just getting used to that and not um just instead of spending just uh you know having having the time with your friends and family and just be keeping things really simple so that's well, I, my advice i think that's all great advice and and what <laughs> i would add to that i think is um, ne- never has the importance of having the three to 12 months of savings in the bank been more important yes, absolutely. and, and uh, getting rid of the burdens of debt as soon as you can. Absolutely. Um, certainly, certainly is, is something emphasized to me has, has going through this virus um, time, you know, the last six weeks, has it changed your perspective at all? Do you mean on medicine or just uh, medicine financially, you know, any of those things? Oh, um, you know, one thing it has really 
helped me with is it's really reassured me or I don't know what the word is. It's really confirmed for me the importance of budgeting. Like I've, you know, we track our spending. I track it on a weekly and a monthly and a quarterly basis. And, um, you know, I I feel confident about what, about the fact that I know how to do that because, you know, we're all sort of living in this time of um, being unsure about what's going to happen in the economy and with our jobs and everything. And kind of just knowing where our money's been going, it's actually allowing me to figure out what are some ways that we can cut back and do it more proactively versus, versus reactively. So I think it's just kind of taught me the importance of being proactive. And as a physician, being someone who's interested in like side gigs and side hustles, like, you know, I was telling you about the medical writing, I'm learning how to do medical writing as a freelancer. So, you know, I think it's also kind of stressed to me the importance of having additional income on top of being really on top of where your money is going. I love it. Great advice. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, then as we wrap up the, the episode for today, any final thoughts or advice that you want to pass on to your colleagues that you've learned along the way? Um, you know, I think it's, you know, I want to say it's really important that we, that we all sort of know that we have each other to rely on. I mean, that sounds very cheesy and kumbaya, um, but (laughs) collectively, like we all have so much experience and not just the medical side and learning about medicine, but also just the real life stuff. And, um, you know, and I think that that's something that we can all share, not just with each other, but with all the people around us. Um, You know, whether you're a parent or you're not a parent, you know, we're all part of a community. And so, you know, I think in times of stress, it can sometimes be hard to really kind of keep that focus. Um, so I think that's my, my, that would be my, my main advice is just really just to remember that we're all part of a community and we're all here to help each other and it's okay to reach out for help. And, you know, we've all gone through some struggles um, yes. and we're all, you know, we're all also able to help each other and support each other. So I, think I love it. need to be there. <laughs> Well, that's a great segue to um, if maybe someone knows someone going through what what you've similar to what you've gone through, and um, or they just want to reach out for your advice, um, having been through the the struggles that you have been. What would be the best way for people to connect with you? Um, they can find me. There's a few ways. I actually have a blog, and um, it's called holisticdoctormomlife.com and so they can always contact me through the, through the blog my all my uh social media stuff is on there i think i even put my email address on there people can email me perfect um yeah so and i'm also the same on instagram i i you know I'm, i i can respond to dms if people want to message me i'm on instagram holistic i'm at holisticdoctormom on instagram so yes, those are probably two of the best ways. Awesome. Well, thank you, Lynn, so much for being with me and, and spending some time sharing your journey. I could tell you're just a, a, a light um, with everything you've been through and what an inspiration to um, come out of something and still having a positive attitude on life and charging on. That is so awesome. So thank, thank you. Dave, thanks. It's been really great talking to you. Let's keep in touch for sure. Absolutely.
All right, my friends, well, that wraps up another episode of the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast. If you have any questions or you know someone that would like to be a guest on the show, please feel feel free to reach out to me, Dave at drfreedompodcast.com. For the Freedom Formula for Physicians podcast, this is Dave Deniston. Remember, my friends, remember to slash your debt, slash your taxes, and live a liberated lifestyle.